In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So every year we come to this, the last Sunday before Epiphany, we have the, the reading of the Transfiguration. And, and so we, we begin, we end the season of Epiphany in the same way, so we begin the season of Epiphany with, with the voice of God and, and also the coming of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the presence of Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then, and then the voice of the Father, this is my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And then today, as Jesus is praying, the cloud overshadows and his face is transfigured, signifying that the coming of the Holy Spirit as well, and the voice of, of God again, this is my chosen one, listen to him. And it's been, in, in, in Luke's Gospel, just a couple verses, right? A couple chapters, I think, chapter 3 to chapter 9. But it's about three years, right? The, the, the Bible's not set up in the, in the same way as, um, as, as like biographies and other books that we like it. It's, it's, it's set up um, not... not completely um, with the same amount of content for all these various various parts. But it's definitely backlogged um, from, from Jesus coming down the mountain. From then on, he sets his face toward Jerusalem and is heading to the cross. In fact, um, on, the, on the mountain, um, the word that we have in, in Luke's Gospel, as, as Jesus began to speak to Moses and Elijah about his departure, is really the word for departure is exodus, which even somebody like me that doesn't always capture the symbolism in movies and all these little sort of, like I still don't really understand the what the Encanto girl's power is. Like, uh, don't look at me that way. But right, like, it's sort of a little, okay, she's, ah, uh, whatever. But I, we don't talk about Bruno here. We, so, but you can't miss the symbolism of the Exodus. The Exodus is the, the, the I don't know why we don't translate it Exodus. I don't know what's wrong with the commentators and whoever is putting together these Bibles. But, but Exodus is the event of all of Israel. There's nothing that defines Israel more than Exodus. Every year there's the Passover. Moses delivers and leads the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery away from the evil of Pharaoh into the land of promise. There's a little bit of delay where they're wandering around for 40 years because they don't listen to God entirely. But, I mean, ultimately that's the story, that's the message, that they are rescued from oppression and given their freedom in a land that God has prepared for them. This is who they are. The receiving then of the Ten Commandments, the receiving of the law, the receiving of, of 
the Spirit of God as Moses has to veil his face. All of these things, the holy glory of who God is, God saying, you are my chosen people and I will be your God if you listen to me. That's what the Exodus is. And Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about the new Exodus. That journey to the cross, whereby once again blood will be shed, this time again by that perfect sacrifice, that lamb. The Israelites all put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them. Jesus becomes the Passover lamb at the cross. And through his resurrection, opens the gates of everlasting life to the world. Now, instead of just being freed from an oppressive nation, an oppressive ruler, we're freed from sin and death and the enemy of evil and brought into a new and glorious life. As Paul says in Corinthians, where we have the veil removed and we can shine brightly, radiantly, just like Jesus as we are being transformed more and more into his likeness through the Spirit of God. No longer do we have to put a veil over our face when the glory, to gaze upon the glory of God. Not only can we gaze upon the glory of God, we too can be transformed and transfigured by the glory of God. This is, this is the joy. And so, this is the setup of, of, of this scene of, of transfiguration, of preparation for what's to come as we enter the season of Lent. Again, as I said, we always end with this passage. And typically speaking, as, as you probably have, have learned, I'm not so like application heavy on my sermons, but today I'm going to be application heavy on my sermon because we, we come to Lent and next week or in a couple days. And, and Lent really is, for those who, who didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church especially, it's really this great sort of combination between, between um, New Year's resolutions and, and retreat, right? I mean, it's, we, we sort of get to hit the reset on New Year's resolutions, but we have this opportunity, this excuse to do things we wouldn't normally do. Now, we may get trapped into our, our Lenten um, habits of, I'm going to give up you know, chocolate for Lent, or I'm going to give up coffee for Lent. I'm not giving up coffee for Lent, just so you know. <laughs> There's not a chance. Um, I think I've told this story before where, where this couple gave up, one, the wife gave up coffee for Lent and her husband gave up cigars for Lent. And by Lent three, we both had about had enough of each of them. <laughs> Miserable people to be around. Um, but it's an opportunity to, to, to climb that mountain in many ways. To be on that mountaintop. Um, there's, there's a reason that uh, this passage always ends after they come down the mountain with that boy who's 
who has the demon that's throwing him around and the disciples can't cast him out. And the reason is, we come back down off the mountain and we enter into life of the mess of the world. And we need that mountaintop experience, that relationship with God, that, that transfigured face, that reflection, that power, in order to deal with the things of the world. Because otherwise it just becomes overwhelming. It becomes unbearable. You just sit there and you go, we did everything we thought we could do before. Remember, not in Luke's gospel, in other places where they say, how come you could cast out the demon? We couldn't. Jesus, this only comes out with prayer. And you got to figure, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, look, we're praying. I don't know what you think we were doing, but we were praying. And, and, and I think it's, it's really just not a critique of, of how good their, their prayer was, but my guess is that there was a, a formula right? that, you, that they'd seen Jesus do before, and they just were doing the formula. And in reality, sometimes you have to take all those pieces and rely upon God. It's not a formula. It's prayer is communication with God. And you need to communicate with God in this particular instance. And so we need those mountaintop experiences. We need those times to come and communicate with God. And I don't mean mountaintop experiences like, like raising your hands and, and feeling kumbaya and everything. Those are great. I'm not putting those down. There's, there's plenty of people that they're in desperate search of mountaintop experiences all of the time. And in fact, if it's not a mountaintop experience, then it can't possibly be God. That's sort of the, that's sort of where you have to always draw the line, right? Mountaintop experiences are great in that they draw us closer to God. There's other people that, that they'd rather be down always in the world, doing the hard work, the gritty work, among the poor, the outcast, the broken. Um, and so for Lent, I think this is, this is one of those great opportunities where, where we, can, we can sort of dabble, right? I mean, where we can break free from the things even that we mostly enjoy and we can do something different. If you're someone who, who likes to be on the mountain, maybe come off the mountain a little bit and come down. If you're someone who likes to be in the nitty-gritty, maybe go up the mountain for a little while and be just in the presence of God. For many people, they like to stay down here because they like God there. They don't necessarily like God here. I like God over here. So like a side, like a side of fries with my burger, right? I mean, you don't want God to be, they don't want to be transfigured, transformed. And I say, if you're one of those people, just look at for ways where you can be transfigured, transformed, that God can come near. And if you're one of those that God's always near, then take some of that power into the world. Go before those who, who are, are broken and needy and, and 
have conversations, talk, write a letter to somebody. I mean, there's a myriad of ways. And, and so I, what, I, what I really say is, is if, you, if you pray, um, if you pray, Lord, give me the winning tickets, numbers for the, for the lottery, then God's pretty slow to answer that prayer. Lord, you know, let that person over there fall in love with me. Um, God may not be answering those prayers, but, but if you say, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do for Lent, God's pretty fast at responding to those prayers I have found. I have found that when you only want to do what God wants you to do, you only have to be quiet for about five, ten minutes, and, and God will be more than happy to, to sort of lead you in the right direction. And so I, I, that's, really, that's really my encouragement for, for us, for Lent. For six weeks that we, we really seek what God wants for us to do, individually, corporately, which is good want us to do? How do we begin to be radiant that we may more and more manifest that transfigured glory of the risen Christ to the world around us? Because this is what Lent is. Lent is not like giving stuff up. It's not even about necessarily taking stuff on. Um, it's about ways in which we can sort of be calibrated, recalibrated. And hopefully that as we, as we end the Lenten season and come into the glories of Easter, that all of a sudden this doesn't just stop. Right? They'll be like, well, that was great. Now I get to go back. I mean, that's where it is giving up chocolate isn't a bad thing, because then on Easter you can, wow, you just go crazy. But as far as the spiritual reality, now we have the joy of the resurrection. We've been through the exodus of the cross and passion, and now we get to really reap this joy. And how, how powerful will it be if we, if we become a people who are balanced of ones that climb the mountain to be refreshed and come off of the mountain and embrace the world with transfigured faces. Because that's, I think, what God really wants. Peter says, it would be good for us to stay here forever. Let's make some booths. I could just live here. Luke's gracious more than some of the other Gospels. They didn't say, like, Peter had no idea what he was even saying. Just sort of passed it by. No. No. There's work to be done. At the same time, we need to take time to reconnect with God. To be empowered by God, because if it, the glory, we were talking about this in the parish hall right before, if it, if I had to be dependent upon my own power, it would be really bad. 
Luckily, we have the power of God and the Spirit working in us and through us to do that hard work, to encounter the evil and sin of this world, to be a light. So I pray this, this Lent, we become a people who, who seek that balanced, glorious life, that we might be transfigured and transfixed by the power of God. Amen. Amen.